0: This is the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Paddy, how are you this week? Happy Easter. As, as per usual, Gary, I
1: am absolutely phenomenal. And it is, as we were discussing momentarily, or moments ago, it is the Feast of Ishtar today, um, which is great. And this will obviously be out tomorrow, so I hope everyone had you know, a fuckload of eggs, a fuckload of uh, chocolate. And they're just happy, ready to go, ready to attack the rest of the year and fucking dominate
0: yeah personally i think easter eggs are a bit overrated so what i do is i i like the way that the chocolate in easter eggs is thinner than it normally would be in a bar so that means it's really easy to like chop up nice and small so i put it in my porridge because i'm a big fan of chocolate in my porridge so that was my easter celebration this morning i'm actually not Um, really a fan of chocolate overall i know it's fucking blasphemy but i'm like that is awful I'd rather just some fucking barbecued meat. I would agree with that to be fair. Yeah, I would be more of a a kind of a meat and burgers and like you say, ribs, steak, etc. cetera, fan.
1: But, savory beats sweet every fucking day of the week. I don't care. Like, don't at me. Don't fucking come for me. Like,
0: you're wrong if you think sweet is better than savory. I would agree. I'm a big fan of jellies. But other than that, I would agree savories. Uh, so berries. Savory. Berries now. Big <laughs>
1: fan of berries. They're sweet fucking delicious anyway look we're not here to talk fucking shit we're here to talk about training considerations for the obese individual am i right gary yes that's exactly it right so excuse me nearly got sick of my mouth there anyway um (laughs) so training obviously is a like we've been doing this obesity series and we've talked through a lot of the, we'll call them causes, a lot of the the things that go on with obesity, or we'll call it adjacent to obesity, some of the issues, some of the problems, all that stuff, right? So we've obviously done this entire series, right? So if you haven't listened to it from the start, I would definitely recommend, but I would recommend that because we recorded it. We spent the time recording it. Um, But I would definitely recommend going back and listening to that because it provides the context for the next few episodes that we're going to discuss Um, and I simply am not going to cover all of the same stuff that we were covered in that because this is all always happens with these conversations when you talk about like uh, an intervention say you know everyone's like oh but what about this like someone mentioned like socioeconomics for example and it's like we did like two three episodes on that I'm not going to caveat everything we say here with all of the information we discussed in that, right? So, if you haven't listened to the series and you're like, "Oh, uh, they they didn't cover this," you know, minute thing that I, I I think is really important, it's probably covered somewhere else in the series, right? <laughs> so, with that out of the mon- out of the way, out of the mind, out of the way, we're going to talk about training. We're going to talk about the training considerations for you an obese individual, because I'm very aware that a lot of like personal trainers, <clears throat> coaches. Health professionals, whatever they listen to this podcast, and you know, I would like to think that we put out good information. Um, but obviously, this is just a launching point, like, we're simply not going to cover every single nuance of training the obese individual. Like, there's entire courses for that, there's entire books written on it, you know, papers, everything. Like, we're just going to cover some of the things that we think is important, right? So With all of that caveat out of the way, training is obviously an important consideration for the obese individual from a a number of perspectives, namely that it helps with weight management. And I'm not even saying like weight loss, like that might be the eventual goal. You know, again, maybe we're talking about like a 10% reduction for the individual just so they can improve their blood lipids or, you know, whatever it is. However, even if it is a case of just wanting to maintain your weight, just wanting to become healthier. Like training is a really phenomenal tool in a multitude of regards, right? And some of the things that are really important for the obese individual, and I'm talking regardless of the actual training that is implemented, like it's pretty much universally beneficial. Now, there's definitely some caveats to that and there's definitely some better protocols than others however pretty much universally across the board i would recommend most people engaging in some form of training if well as a general rule but especially as an obese individual and then there's a number of reasons for this first of all it allows for we'll call it better blood sugar control right and that's obviously something that again we've talked about there's a diabetes risk there's you know risks associated with that and if we can um like attenuate these risks to to some regard or to some extent with some training like that's obviously going to be beneficial as well as that you get uh, improvements in blood lipids and again because you're providing somewhat of a sink for um you know um what am i trying to say gary Uh, a sink for stuff in the blood (laughs) um uh, because you're you know you're exercising you're using your muscles you're increasing your insulin sensitivity et cetera. like things just kind of move better in your actual bloodstream <clears throat> in your actual like metabolism overall right and um, and that has a knock-on effect um, of improving your uh, heart disease risk right <clears throat> and that, that obviously is important from the perspective of you know not wanting to die and that's you know pretty beneficial. And there are also some considerations around that in terms of like what training you do, you're going to get different effects in terms of your reduced like cardiovascular risk. However, again, I just come back to it. as like, I would like to see you doing some sort of training. You're going to get some sort of uh, risk reduction you know, you're going to get some return on investment from doing something rather than going oh well i don't have access to you know this best training modality or this whatever i'm like literally i don't care if you were in your room fucking walking on the spot i would rather see that than doing nothing you know and um, then also on top of that like you get improvements in your ability to actually functionally engage with the world, right? And what I mean by that is like, if you are an individual that is overweight, like you can be somewhat closed off from the world because you're not actually able to interact with the world because, you know, walking outside of your house might be an actual ordeal for you because you're not fit enough to do that. And as you can imagine, that's not an ideal way to live your life. You know, that's not ideal that you're not actually able to engage with the world because you're not actually able to move Within the world, right? So that is an important consideration to have. Um, and there's a number of aspects to that as well, just from like a, a health perspective. Like, forget about like, you know, actually wanting to live in the world. and um, like strength is a pretty good predictor of health overall, and like we'll call it longevity. And um, so that is something that we obviously want to improve. And then along with that, we want to improve muscle mass because, again, that is something that is relevant, especially as we age, like we want to make sure that we have uh, a bank of muscle mass, we'll say, right. And then like, this is intuitive enough, but it also helps with controlling weight or improving body composition. And depending on how you actually want to go with that, again, like it doesn't actually have to be, you know, weight loss as the actual goal even though again like that can be really beneficial for improving a number of things and it's hard in the research to be like oh this is the improvement you get from this exercise intervention versus the fact that it's like oh well they also lost weight you know it's like that is something that is often entangled in between the two and it's hard to tell like oh th- this is why they got the benefit of like what was the actual benefit of the exercise intervention versus the actual like fat loss that occurred as a result of that, in- that intervention but there's there's some nuance around that anyway right And um, but on top of just improving body composition you do also get uh, an improvement of where that body fat is actually situated in terms of like, we've talked about previously in terms of like, you know, ectopic fat uh, distribution, uh, uh, ectopic fat, like adipose tissue, um, and also like, you know, visceral uh, adipose tissue, like that is something that can be improved by just exercise alone. And now, the magnitude of effect of that, I'm unsure of. Um, I don't know exactly like, oh, this is going to be the make or break stuff. However, it does seem to be well supported that that does occur, which, you know, we can hypothesize that is a, you know, a, a pretty beneficial thing to occur. Again, if you're unsure of what I mean by that, again, go back and listen to the previous episode we did talking about like, you know, what is body fat, body fat storage patterns, et cetera, like that. Right. So, before we move on, Gary, is there anything else that's just popping to your mind right now in terms of why uh, an individual that is obese should train in terms of like, you know, like, okay, we've got all those things, you know, is there anything else that you're kind of like, oh, well, don't forget this?
0: Yeah, so obviously the benefits of exercise don't necessarily need to be repeated and that you all hopefully know at this point that exercise is useful okay, for your health. Um, I even think you can argue that 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 exercise has moral value. And that is that that argument even goes back as far as Plato and Aristotle. You know, if you if you look at the way that ancient philosophers actually discuss exercise and moving the body, they kind of tied it with morality. But we won't go there for today. But what I will say is that all of the usual benefits of exercise apply in the case of obesity. But there are some additional benefits that I think are important to discuss in the context of obesity. And there's one example would be purely looking at, like you mentioned, weight management previously. And I think we can move that over to to body composition even, that we're not just focused on weight loss here, we're focused on the composition of the obese state. So for example, if your BMI is... 35 or 40, let's say, that doesn't necessarily inform us as to how much of that is composed of muscle versus fat. And in the case of obesity, if you are engaging in resistance training, for example, you are going to be strengthening your muscles and your bones and improving your body composition in such a way that it's going to confer a longevity and a health benefit um, that wouldn't otherwise be the case if The same BMI uh, was composed primarily of body fat. Okay. So that's really important because if we zoom back to the podcast that we recorded with um, Richie Kerwin a few months ago, as part of this obesity series, one of the things that we discussed was um, the obesity paradox, so called. And the way that we discussed that was that, you know, there does seem to be in some cases a longevity benefit in uh, obesity in in some specific health contexts that is effectively an artifact of using BMI. So for example, if we're just looking at BMI and we're not actually looking at the composition of muscle mass, we're not actually capturing the full picture. And what seems to be the case is that when people with obesity of higher levels of muscle mass they're in a healthier state and they have more of a, a benefit to um, resist the inevitable decline in, in function and health with age so you have to you have to look at that regardless of whether or not you you want to lose weight because I think this is one of the really important things that needs to be emphasized in this discussion is that exercise in the context of obesity almost always gets reduced to a discussion of weight loss okay and realistically, like it can play a role in weight loss. um, But the vast majority of the benefits of exercise actually don't have to do specifically with fat loss. It's more so to do with the improvements in things like the complications of obesity. So we've discussed hypertension as being one of the primary Issues with obesity. And we know that exercise is a very potent antihypertensive agent. We also know that, it, know that exercise has um, an antihyperglycemic effect. So it's going to reduce blood glucose. Like you said, having more muscle mass, having better insulin sensitivity, all of these things are beneficial for the obese physiology, if you will. And as you said, we've discussed ectopic fat deposition and we've discussed fatty liver, for, an, for example, and non alcoholic fatty liver disease. Is something that's becoming more and more prevalent throughout the world, and um, basically as a result of the transition towards more obese populations. Like prior prior to the last few decades, the like viral hepatitis would have been the primary cause of of, of liver transplant. But increasingly now, non alcoholic fatty liver disease is actually becoming more of a problem, and this is fundamentally. result of an energy surplus and obesity and what we see in the research with exercise which is really interesting is that there's a dose response relationship as you do more exercise you get more of this benefit in terms of reducing the amount of fat that's stored in your liver so you're literally reducing um you know a disease process that that is causing significant morbidity and mortality in the population so this applies to basically every system in the body, you know, exercise is, is always beneficial. So hopefully we can give you some actual practical takeaways in this conversation, not just for people themselves, but also for trainers. Cause I think that's really important is is how trainers actually approach this problem too.
1: Yeah. And like the way I look at it, I'm like, we have like interventions like pharmacological interventions that help with obesity. And like, we'll we'll do a a podcast on that. Well, maybe, Um, but we'll talk about that in the future anyway. Right. But like, you actually cannot bottle, like you can't put it in pill form or injectable form or whatever, all of the benefits that exercise gives you, right? Like even just look at it from a purely like a, we'll call it insulin sensitizing effect. Like even if you take like the fucking ridiculous doses of whatever insulin sensitizing agents you want or whatever, you know in that pathway, you know, uh, pharmacological interventions, like you still don't actually get all of the benefits that exercise offers in that context. Like you don't get the same, like glycogen depletion that you get from exercise. And as a result of that, like you don't actually get as much, we'll call it like fat burning, you know, actually like you know, fat oxidation. Um, and it's just, like, you just, there's no reason not to exercise, <laughs> you know, it's like, this is like, you know, the first line intervention this is like all right this this gets everything that we're looking at yeah pretty much you know it's like this is this this you don't have to take a like polypharmacy you don't have to take 20 different drugs you like you just go okay you just have to exercise right now obviously that's you know easy to say it's hard in practice like if you are an individual that has never exercised in your life or you know very potentially have had negative uh, interactions with exercise in in the past like if you grew up obese like you probably didn't like you know your your physical education classes you probably didn't enjoy that stuff and then you know as you get away from like mandatory physical education in schools even though like obviously it's not necessarily mandatory like you can kind of opt out um like as we get away from that like people can just never exercise in their life like they can the most exercise they do is just you know walking and even that, they're not even getting like, you know, I don't know, 5,000 steps per day. It's literally just like walk to the car, sit in the car, you know, and, and like that's it, right? Um, so like you could have had a really bad, really poor, I'm going to call it a physical upbringing i don't mean the actual physical situation i mean like you know physical activity upbringing right and um, but also maybe you didn't maybe you are an individual like got obese later in life that can oftentimes also be harder because you know how fit you used to be you know how easy things used to be and now you're in a position where you're like oh i feel like i'm a million miles away from that and that in and of itself is somewhat demotivating. You know, like if you go from, like it happens all the time with people getting injured, you know, like they'll get injured and they're like, oh, I used to be able to do, I don't know, 20 chin-ups, right? And they get injured and now they're like, I can't even do a single chin-up, right? And in their mind, they, they, they kind of limit themselves and go, okay, well, I'm actually never going to work on that because I'm so far away from where I used to be it's not even worth it. You know, I'm injured now. I'm going to always be injured. And there's a whole like mindset shift that occurs. Right. And that can often happen if you are an individual that became obese later in life. Right. So it's not like one is necessarily better than the other in terms of like someone who has never exercised versus someone who used to exercise and now they're obese. It's difficult for both populations. Right. However, the the key thing with all of this, before we actually get into some more Practical stuff. The key thing to remember is that, like, it doesn't have to be resistance training. It doesn't have to be like you know formal aerobic training. It doesn't have to be like whatever intervention, CrossFit, whatever. Right? It doesn't have to be any of those things. You just have to find an activity that you enjoy that you will be consistent with. That's it, right? So again, it's easy to easy for me to say, oh, you know, we our first line of defense should be exercise. Now, again, that's easy for me to say, because a lot of people, their idea of exercise is, oh, uh, you know, I have to go to the gym three, four five times per week. Like, and that's where it becomes hard in practice. But in reality, it doesn't need to be hard in practice because you have a huge amount of activity that you can pick and choose from that you are bound to find something that you enjoy you know, literally something out there, you'll be like, Oh, I actually resonate with this, you know, like, it would be very rare if there was absolutely nothing that you enjoyed, like, are you you telling me you don't like, like, I don't know, dancing to music, like you don't mind, you don't like, you know, even just shaking your shoulders to music or something, like, there's very few people out there that don't enjoy some form of movement, it's intrinsic, to life itself like you could move like as a an entity like uh not more like you as an entity as in like evolutionarily like we could move before we could think like it's it's deeper than that so you know if you're always up in your mind always up in your head like that's you, you are missing a fundamental component of life and that's what gary goes on about earlier on when we was talking about morality and stuff like it is it is something that you know you get to or Uh, philosophers have questioned and thought about uh, a lot, but I'm not a philosophizer. Neither is Gary. We are just two idiots talking about obesity, right? So what are your thoughts, Gary, in terms of what should someone who is either trying to train themselves and they're obese or someone who is like maybe a a personal trainer or even like a, a doctor or something, and they're just trying to help someone engage in better training practices. What are some
0: right now they're like okay this is the, the these are important points to think about yeah so i, I kind of break these down into three categories because obviously like what we're trying to do is ultimately similar to anyone else like all we're talking about is the difference in fat mass I still want you to be able to perform resistance training improve your aerobic fitness <laughs> etc okay so the same, same things apply from a health perspective but what I break them down into is that there's kind of three broad categories of concerns. One is, is body mass itself. The other is body image. And the third is ergonomics, you could say. So body mass concerns would be, for example, you might have a, a program that you run in your gym. It's a group fitness program. And as part of that, you might be doing box jumps and burpees, let's say, okay, so some sort of circuit. And what you have to realize is if someone is untrained, let's say, and they're 140 kilos and 70 kilos of that is fat mass, like that's non functional. So it's ultimately very similar to one of your other trainees having a 70 kilo weighted vest on. You know, obviously it's not the exact same because they've lived with that, but there's enough of a similarity there for you to take it seriously. So to expect that individual to perform box jumps and take all of the impact on their joints every time they come down and to move that amount of mass in the first place, the same distance you might expect another client. And then with burpees, you're coming down and throwing all of that mass onto the, someone's hands, onto their wrists, you know, which are relatively fragile joints, you know, in the grand scheme of things. And then also, you know, putting all that, that load on them that they have to catch them with their shoulders and their elbows, etc it's a big ask. Okay. It's a really big ask. It's, it's not, it's not the same as as someone else who's let's say normal weight or you as a trainer doing that exercise, even the, the part of a burpee, let's say where you're coming back up again, like you have to be able to bring your hands towards your feet. And if there's compression of fat mass between you doing that again, that that's just a challenging thing to do. And it's purely the result of body mass. And I would say the exact same thing almost if that was 140 kilo bodybuilder, okay? Because bodybuilders don't do that stuff. And they actually know that, you know, really large bodybuilders typically won't be doing things where they're throwing their bodies around like that because they're like, I'm not built for that, you know? And we know bodybuilders ourselves who are up to that kind of range of 140 kilos and they struggle with putting their shoes on. They don't go to concerts because they don't like standing for that long. They have difficult- difficult, they all wear flip-flops. yeah. (laughs) They, they, they have difficulty in airports um, with, you know, walking to the terminal and stuff. So this stuff applies even in those, quote unquote, athletic individuals. So that that body mass um, component is really important to consider. And obviously, you could go through every exercise and, and think about the role it plays. And it's something to think about yourself with regards to your own programs that you're putting together. But another, I think, very obvious one would be walking and running, for example. If someone is, if let's say you give them a step target of 10,000 steps per day, 10,000 steps per day at 75 kilos lean is very different to 10,000 steps per day at 140 kilos with 70 kilos of fat mass. Again, it's like giving you a big weighted vest and telling you to go and do that. Okay. If someone is going to go and try and do that, and they've previously only had 2000 steps per day, you are increasing risk of things like a flare up of an Achilles tendinopathy, let's say, or the person just being super fatigued and having an awful experience, because that's a very intense exercise session for them. And this is something that I always bring up with clients who are untrained generally, not just clients with obesity, is that if I give you, let's say, a 30-minute cardio session, some of the w- ways I would program that will be 30 minutes at 140 to 160 beats per minute, let's say, okay, as a heart rate range. And if the person has an activity watch, they can easily track that. But if someone is untrained and if they're obese, they might reach that heart rate range walking on the flat, okay? And someone untrained generally um, and people with certain illnesses and things, they might reach that on the flat. So that's all I need you to do. That's that's your moderate intensity exercise in that context. And what you have to realize then as a trainer is that if that is already that person's moderate intensity threshold, you're not going to get them to do an additional you know, casual walks that are for their steps because we've already established that's their modern intensity exercise. So there are some of the considerations that you do have to keep in mind that are specific to the body mass itself. So you can think about it as in terms of how does the mass uh, difference interact with this exercise? Um, and then how does uh, the mass affect everyday Activities as well, so such as walking, but also other activities of daily living. For for example, if if someone is if someone has been working a manual job, um, and I and they're you know quite obese and they've got uh, seventy kilo, seventy kilos of extra fat mass, as I said, I know that they've been used to carrying that weight around. So I can interpret from the get go that okay, this person has probably developed a level of muscular strength and endurance to deal with the extra mass in the tasks that they're used to doing. So that person's start, starting point, I would anticipate as being different to the um, sedentary individual with obesity with the same level of fat mass who has not been doing any activity because they may not even have the basic adaptations to deal with that fat mass and activities of daily living. And that's particularly the case if someone has gained that weight recently. You know, so for example, someone might've had a three-year really rough period where, you know, they had lots of grief in the family and depression and they gained loads of weight and their lifestyle went downhill. They became very sedentary. That's a totally different situation to someone who's been obese since childhood and has lived a normal physically active life. So the same caveats apply apply ultimately to every client, you know, where are you starting and where do we need to get to? But just considering that those body mass considerations, um, are important there. Now will I go on to the other two? Uh, I just or do you want to add yeah right. go ahead. The first
1: thing is like this is actually a really important thing to understand. Um first of all, like well it's a fun little you know point if you know people say like oh I have a fast metabolism. Like realistically individuals that are obese they have the fastest metabolisms because everything they do like you know non-exercise activity termogenesis is a component of metha- metabolism. Right. So if this individual literally I don't know you play bowling and this other individual plays bowling, you know, you both go to the fucking bowling alley and you both do to your fucking whatever, 10 pins or whatever it is, you know, 10 rounds, whatever they're called. Um, and you both do that, right. You might go, Oh, that was, you know, a fine activity. You look at your activity track and watch your, your Apple watch or whatever. And you go, Oh, cool. My heart rate got up to 90 while I was like, you know, celebrating, you know, getting a, a strike or something. You're like, great. You know? Um, and you're like, Oh, look, I burnt." I don't know. Well, let's say 200 calories. Just I'm picking that out of my ass. Right. Um, 200 calories. But then you look over at your friend who did the exact same activity as you, but they're 400 pounds. Right. Like they probably burned through 2000 calories, just getting up out of the seat, picking up the bowling ball and throwing it down the, the lane. You know, like so they are actually they actually have a faster metabolism, which is just it, it, it kind of throws, the, the way we conceptualize metabolism in the, like the general population, it throws it out the window because you, you would hear people say like, oh, you can just stay skinny or whatever because you have a fast metabolism. But in reality, it is the individuals that are heavier, that have faster metabolisms inherently, right? But that doesn't mean that they necessarily burn more calories in the day because like Gary said like this, they could be very sedentary as a result, like most of them obviously are. Um, and this can be, you know, a confounding factor or, you know, a precipitating factor, I should say, um, to the obesity. Um, so these individuals are probably not used to a lot of activity. They're probably not used to exercising a lot. So again, their, their tolerance for activity is lower. So you have to remember that, that again, like they're basically carrying around a weight vest. Right. So, would you say to another individual that, you know, is within a whatever healthy BMI range, but they've never exercised, would you say, right, you know what? We're going to do day one intervention. We're going to slap a 90 kilo weight vest on you and we're going to do box jumps and burpees or whatever. No, you're obviously not. Right. However, that's kind of obvious once it's said, but there are some less obvious nuances to that. Um, that are really important to understand if you are going to be programming for yourself or you are programming for other individuals that are obese right like you might be thinking like you are of the opinion that um oh this we're we're trying to build towards a bench press right you're like that's the that's the gold standard we're like we want to get someone to be able to do a bench press right and then you go okay I'm going to start. I have this progression and regression scheme of like where I start people. I get them, depending on where they are, I get them to do like, you know, push ups from the knees. And then I get them to do like, you know, uh, full push ups. And then I get them to do, I don't know, like dumbbell chest press. And uh, then I get them to do, you know, the, the barbell, right? Like that might be your normal progression for a, an individual, which is, you know, perfectly fine progression. You have someone come in, they've never trained. They're in this normal, you know, healthy BMI range. That's your normal progression, just getting them used to using those muscles, getting them used to like firing in the right sequence, et cetera, right? Basically just you know learning how to move. That might be fine for that individual. But you have to remember that if you have an individual that comes in, and again, they're 300, 400 pounds, right? Like that push up from the knees is probably like so much harder. Like the progression regression model is completely backwards for that individual because they're not like, that's more than them using just purely the bar sitting down on the bench or lying down on the bench. You know, like that 20 kilo bar is nothing compared to them trying to do a push up weighing 400 pounds, you know? So it's like that, that is something that you can often get lost because we, as trainers, we get kind of fixated in these like progression regression models where it's like, oh, these are the exercises that I want you to be able to perform. I want you to be this strong in these exercises before we move on to this next exercise. Now, I'm not saying that like, that's generally bad. And again, it gives some variety to the, to the training and it gives some, like, you know, this is how we're actually going to progress the training. Um, but you have to remember that this individual weighs a lot. So your normal, like, body weight progression, like, oh, we're going to do, you know, uh, body weight squats first. I'm like, that individual is squatting 400 pounds now, (laughs) you know, it's like that, like that can be excruciatingly hard. Like think of how many people in just the general population that are able to squat 400 pounds, you know, not that many. So why do you expect this individual on day one in the gym to be able to do that so that is something just to really keep in mind and you're probably going to have to come up with different progression models and for example just using that squat like it might be easier for that individual to just sit on a leg press machine and do a leg press that they can actually easily load the the weight they pick the weight that they're actually able for rather than saying oh I'm going to squat 400 pounds today, you know, like that's, it's just not realistic. And you have to think of those things and you might have to, uh, confront some of your own biases in terms of, you might think like, oh, we want to focus on like, you know, high return, high yield like compound exercises. Like they burn lots of calories. They use lots of muscle. Um, why would I have this individual that needs more help? You know, cause they're, they have a, an actual issue going on. Why would I get them to do like, you know, these low yield exercises? I'd rather have them, you know, under the bar from day one, really learning the technique. And it's like, yeah, I can understand the thought process, but you have to remember again, this individual weighs 300 pounds, 400 pounds, whatever it is like the, the weight factor of just them moving their body is very challenging. And you have to factor that in, in your progression regression model.
0: Yes, sir. Um, and then just a, kind of a second related point, I guess you could say, is is then body image. And this comes back to specific exercises again. So, well, for, first and foremost, I guess the advice here is obviously different, whether we're talking to a trainee um, or a trainer, because ultimately people have different um, tolerance for body image concerns. For example, like I remember back when I was like more into bodybuilding, particularly early on, like you wear different things for your upper body day versus your lower body day, for example, because you know that on your upper body day, you're going to have an upper body pump. But when you're when you have a lower body day, all that blood's going to be in your legs and your arms are going to be looking small, you know, and like bodybuilders think about that stuff all the time. And they're very particular about what they wear, like they're legitimate body image concerns and similar things obviously apply In the case of obesity, for example, someone might wish to wear um, more baggy clothes or they don't want to wear certain tops because when they lie down in a decline bench, for example, you know, their stomach is sitting, is is popping out or any other position that someone might feel exposed in. That is individual. And as a result, if you're, you know, someone who's getting into the gym um, and you have obesity, pick clothes that are comfortable for you. Okay, that's the only advice I can actually give someone because I don't know what you're comfortable with, you know? Um, And, but for trainers in, in particular, I think this is important because, for example, an exercise like a hanging leg raise, let's say, like your t-shirt rides up, it's stuck up and it's really uncomfortable. Or it might be um, something like if someone's on a spin bike and you know their knees are coming up real close to their chest and there's all this, you know, you've got compression of fat mass as a result of that, or it might be a decline bench press, um, a sit up, any type of position in which a person might feel like, oh, I'm exposing more of my body than I'm comfortable with at this point in time. Like that mightn't be, you know, particularly nice experience for someone. So like personally, what I would say in that context and what what I would do if it was me is I'd actually just ask the person, you know, um, is there any reason you wouldn't like to do this exercise or are there any, any exercises that we've gone through so far that you don't quite feel comfortable with or that you haven't felt comfortable with in the past when you've exercised? that's something that's really going to help to build rapport here with someone who might, you know, have had previously, you know, quite poor experiences. So yeah, like body image, it's obviously a personal concern, but that is something um, that I would be would be thinking about. And that's something that applies to all of your, your clients too. Like for example, especially if you're in a commercial gym, um, there might be certain areas of the gym that are more intimidating. For example, if you go down towards the weightlifting platforms in any gym, there's going to be more grunting, you know, there's going to be people with chalk, it's really intimidating environment. Um, And that's why you'll often see people, you know, edging towards the machines on the other side, the cardio side, because it's less intimidating. Um, So there's simple things that you can do as a trainer, then to maybe, you know, bring some dumbbells down that side of the gym, so the person gets started there. And then if you bring them down to the weight section, look, we'll just go with a machine So that the person is actually, you know, really comfortable with just doing this because the path is guided first, rather than putting them in the middle of the squat racks with everyone else um, who's been training for years. And again, that's not specific to obesity that applies to every client. Okay. Um, In terms of body image, do you have anything to add there? Yeah. There's just a few things as
1: well. Like this is, this is something that if you do regularly exercise, like you can, it can be quite hard to get into the head or the mindset of someone who doesn't like things that you don't even think would be of a concern because you're like, Oh, I just, you know, this is just what we do. We, we do this or whatever, you know, and um, they might actually be quite um, vulnerable for other individuals. For example, like you might be like, right, we're going to, do some sit-ups right and you might be like okay there's no this is what we're going to do for this individual like we want to just work on some ab strength some core strength whatever and but you have to factor in that it's probably a little bit of an ordeal for them to get up and down off the ground like they don't want people looking at them struggling to be like you know huffing and puffing kind of like oh like I, i i'm struggling to get off the floor you know like and you might not even consider that if you are just someone that's just, you know, I've always trained and like, you know, just get up and down off the floor. It's no big deal, you know, and, um, or like a, a common one. And you see this all the time. Cause like, I did a little, like quick search just to see like, you know, uh, how to train the obese trainer just on Google, just to see what, you know, information was being put out. And you see things where it's like, you can tell that these individuals have never actually talked to a human that is obese, <laughs> right? Because they'll say stuff like, Oh, we're just going to have you on a, like a a stability ball and doing like crunches and you're like this, Obese individual does not want to be on this ball that's, you know, fucking vibrating all over the place, moving side to side while they already feel vulnerable and then have to do like sit ups and it's like their top again is coming off their body and like, you know, they're all like in this really vulnerable position, this real awkward position. Like they're not going to enjoy that. Like like it's rare, anyone enjoys that, you know? It's like you just enjoy that because again, in your head, you're like, oh yeah, I can't wait to have my, you know, chiseled six pack on the beach or whatever. It's like this for the average person who's like you know scared or like you know uh frustrated with their little like muffin top or something like even they don't want to be doing this imagine an individual that is more obese that is more self-conscious of their weight like that's not something that they're going to be comfortable with in a general sense obviously again there's going to be individuals that are like well i don't give a fuck you know um but as a general rule it's like, like most people don't want to be in those vulnerable positions and again you have to take that into account when you are trying to actually help this individual and not have them leave the the session like I'm never coming back here again because I was put into these you know terribly vulnerable positions that's a bad uh, exercise environment <clears throat> if that's how I have to train to get results and I'm going to feel ashamed you know I'm going to feel you know vulnerable whatever like whatever those feelings are like if they're thinking then, oh, I have to feel those to get results. Like you're pushing them further away. Like you might be a fucking sadomasochist and be like, man, I fucking love killing myself on fucking high rep Bulgarian split squats or something. You know, and you're like, I'm going to do that for my obese uh, individuals because, you know, they need to burn loads of calories. They need to build leg strength and you have them fucking huffing and puffing away. You know, their literally blood pressure is through the moon and, you know, they're bright red, they're fucking sweating buckets, everything. Like you might be like, yeah, man, I gave them a phenomenal workout there, but just from like a, a self-conscious self, you know, self, self-conscious uh, aspect, like they probably aren't going to enjoy that. You know, forget about the actual effects of like you know they wake up the next day and they can fucking hardly walk because you absolutely annihilated them in the gym. Like, forget about that stuff, and um, because I think most people would be aware that that's you know not a good idea. And um, but just from the perspective of how do they actually look, how do they actually feel when they are in the the training environment? You know, it could literally be like uh, they don't feel comfortable on these treadmills in the gym because they're in a more open area they'd rather have like the treadmills over here or the cross trainer or whatever it is like that's kind of tucked away a little bit so they can feel like not everybody in the gym is fucking staring at me you know so like stuff like that you might not even consider it as a trainer as someone who you know trains yourself however it is a completely normal and valid feeling that obese individuals, what well, loads of individ- individuals feel when they go to the gym, when they are trying to exercise, like even outside, like I've trained obese individuals uh, a few times and even stuff like, you know, oh, we're just going to go for like uh, a longer walk outside, or, you know, we're going to start like the process of like, you know, walking a little bit faster outside with the goal to kind of be like, we want to get into some running eventually. Like, I'm not saying like, you know, we start out with this stuff, you know, but even then they're like, oh, like I don't want people to kind of see me exercising like out and about. I don't want them to kind of like be looking at me. And that is something that you have to take on board when you are training these individuals. Like their feelings are completely valid in terms of how secure, how safe, how non-vulnerable they feel
0: doing these exercises. Yes, sir. Um, And then I guess the, the the additional point I had then was... I guess, ergonomic concerns, which is very much related to the body mass question, but just thinking about how different machines in your gym and pieces of equipment are set up. For example, if you look at some spin bikes, like the seats are absolutely tiny, you know, and if someone, you know, is, you know, quite obese, um, if they're, let's say BMI of of 40 plus, like a seat that small relative to the size of their gluteal region is just super uncomfortable. You know, it's just not nice, especially when you've got a lot of extra mass um, on that seat. So that's a concern. For example, the rowing machine is very similar. Like if you look at the seat that's available, it's quite small and sometimes can be um, quite unstable as well. Um, Decline exercises, as I mentioned previously, when you put someone in a decline, you even feel it yourself, like the blood's rushing to your head and you're kind of like, oh God. And if you think about the effect of fat mass itself, it's also compressing the neck and it's compressing the chest. And if someone has a lot of abdominal obesity as well, it's compressing the abdomen. All of that restricts your ability to breathe because what you have to realize is that your diaphragm, your intercostals, they're all working um, against all of that additional resistance from the fat mass. So it's like, you know, at jujitsu, for example, when someone has you in side control or mount and they press down in your chest, like it's so hard to breathe or anyone, anyone will know if someone sits in your chest, it's so uncomfortable. And if you've got a lot of extra fat mass, there's some of that effect going on. So those different types of positions can just be far more uncomfortable. Like similarly, if you're doing ab work, for example, like you mentioned previously, if you're supine, like lying down on your back again, like that totally changes even the breathing during the exercise, because of all of the fat mass and the effects on your neck and your chest etc um so that can be can be quite uncomfortable for someone um there's obviously plenty of other ergonomic concerns like for example a leg press some leg press start you in like a really flexed position already where your knees are like almost at your chest and obviously if there's a lot, if there's a lot of um, fat mass in the way that again is just a really awkward exercise to set up and that's something that's specific to your gym, like go through the pieces of equipment and think, you know, what do I find really awkward to get into? Like, what's just a bit, oh, it's one of those exercises you nearly don't want to do it because it's so uncomfortable to set up. And think about how might, how that might apply for a heavier person, like even something like a, a barbell hip thrust, let's say. Um, most people hate setting up that exercise, but think about like when you set a barbell hip thrust up, on a bench that isn't that steady. Like I know what's happened to me a few times where oh, the bench slips backwards and the heavier you are, the more likely that is to, to occur, you know? So go through those exercises and just be practical about what actually makes sense for someone to try and do. 100% I have nothing to add to that, Gary. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, it's it's ultimately d- depends on what you regularly program uh, for your clients. Like, you know, there's there's obviously plenty of other specific exercise concerns. Like I think we mentioned previously or you mentioned bodyweight exercises, you know, like getting someone to do chin-ups, push-ups, dips, etc. Totally different if you're starting off with, with extra uh, body mass. So just just be practical, you know, um, and, and try to put yourself in in those shoes, you know. And, and I've seen people do like an experiment like that before where a lean person will like wear um, a simulated suit, um, to see what it's like to carry around the mass, um, as an obese individual. And yeah, it's, it's not an easy feat. Obviously it's not the exact same because they're used to living in it, but, but yeah, um, as a trainer, just trying to, to be empathetic in those cases is, is really important. Um, I'm not sure there's too much else that's actually specific. What do you think?
1: Nothing to that, but what I want to do as well is just make sure that people actually have an idea of going away from this, going, okay, so this is how we could think about things. Because I don't think our overall training recommendations actually change that much. However, there are some things where I'd be like, if we had an obese individual... This is potentially how I would train them, you know, Um, and I'll just go through some things and you can kind of just chime in with anything that you're like, oh, yeah, that's that maybe or I would do some something differently, because like we didn't talk about this beforehand in terms of like how we would train obese individuals. So I'm sure there's probably some differences. Right. And like when I when I think of it, I'm like, okay, again, we're going to focus on those uh, compound high yield exercises. Well, actually, I should just take a step back. When I would be training an obese individual, I would probably again be of the the, the preference for let's get you doing some resistance training. I think it has a multitude of benefits outside of just the, you know, active exercise itself, which as we've said is, you know, in beneficial overall. My preference would be for them to be doing some resistance training. However, again, keeping that like meta level overview of this, we're going to pick some exercise that this individual enjoys. That's the, that's the starting point, right? If they go, I fucking hate resistance training, I probably won't get them to do it, or I will give them the minimum effective dose to be like, right? You don't enjoy this session, but we're doing this because it's going to allow us to really progress XYZ, right? And so that's that's something to uh, keep in mind. But then also we need to keep in mind that like, where is this like, individual actually at? Like, do they have an extremely low um, tolerance for exercise? And if that is the case, like, we probably have to really scale things back. And this is where stuff like you know, like aqua aerobics or something can be really beneficial, right? Where they're like, okay, you can actually take some load off the body, but actually get more movement through the joints through the fucking, you know, the body in general, right? It just really is awkward and uh, annoying for obese individuals that aqua aerobics also means that you're going to be in the water and that you have to wear, you know, swimsuits and stuff, which, you know, for most people is a little bit of a, again, that kind of a, self-confidence, that kind of, uh, self-esteem stuff for most people, you know, they're like, Oh, I don't want to, you know, be in the pool, have people looking at me, you know, in my bikini or in my, you know, swim trunks or, you know, whatever it is. And um, so if you are an obese individual, those concerns are obviously also really valid. And um, so that is a little bit unfortunate that that is the case that the, the easier intervention in terms of easier on your joints, etc., is also one that's probably, more likely to uh, instill fear, (laughs) more likely to instill these feelings of like, oh, Jesus, I don't want to get in the pool, you know, Um, or I don't want to exercise in general, right? So that's the kind of meta level stuff. But beyond that, like, with an individual with obesity, I would be more inclined to suggest, again, resistance training, I would like to see them in two to three times per week, I think a nice schedule of like, you know, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday gives a good effect across the week, right? And what I mean by that is like you're getting the benefits of that resistance training spread throughout the week. It's not all clumped together. And the benefits I'm talking about especially are the you know blood glucose regulating stuff, the more like a metabolism stuff, the the more metabolic stuff. You know, you're getting uh a nicer spread of that. However, again, if the individual is they're like, oh look, I can only come to the gym on these days and they're all clumped together that's fine by me, you know? And that's obviously the the nuance of programming, right? However, with this individual, I probably would be more concerned with like full body training. I wouldn't be doing like some isolated, like here, we're doing our uh, push day and we're going to do our pull day and we're going to do our lower body day. Like I just wouldn't be doing that. I would still be focusing on that, you know, compound exercises, high yield exercises, and applying some like a appropriate progression regression, you know, models to those, you know, different exercises and based on where that individual is at, but I probably would be training them full body three times per week. I think, first of all, I like that for general trainees anyway, but in the individuals that are obese, I'm like, look, we want to just, you know, strengthen the body overall. I think this is just a really handy way to do it. If we spread this out across the week, but we also train, the full body on each of those days right so that's the first thing i would definitely probably you know err on the side of slightly higher reps and the only reason i say this like i still think that the general premise of you know exercising in the 8 to 30 rep range is a a good bet for these individuals however from a glycogen depletion perspective like i'm like yeah like we can make a strong case to do higher reps And just from the perspective of like, you know, getting a little bit more glycogen depleted now, how much of an overall effect uh, that's going to have, you know, again, it's debatable, but I would probably just use a progression model of like, okay, rather than increasing weights for this individual, we're just going to increase reps over time. So first of all, they're doing a little bit more work. They're burning a little bit more calories, even though I generally don't like to think of resistance training as like a calorie burning you know, event. However, again, like in this individual, I'm like, okay, this actually we need to get some sort of energy flux going, right? And um, that's probably how I would program the resistance training in terms of the cardiovascular training. Like there is there is research to suggest that like you know higher intensity stuff is more beneficial. However, again I just look at those studies and I'm like, look, you clearly have never actually talked to obese individuals because they don't want to, to train like this. And, um, and while you could say like, Oh, like you got this high intensity interval training, it's really beneficial. Like, again, we have to look at exercise tolerance. Like most people of like normal BMIs have pretty fucking piss poor exercise tolerance for like uh high intensity interval training anyway. So if you have this individual that hasn't been training like that, you know, it can be quite hard. Again, you could definitely make an argument from a, a biochemical perspective that there are distinct advantages for that style of training. Um, but in general, I just think it's probably too hard. Like the the, the juice is worth the squeeze, so to speak, right? And especially considering that we can get the benefits from other things, other areas. However, look, if you want to go high intensity with the, the cardio stuff and the individual wants to go for it, by all means do and um, i would probably still have a phase of like okay we're actually going to build up some like aerobic foundation before we just fucking dunk your head o- o- under that stuff right um, and again this is goes back to what gary was saying earlier on in terms of like call it like ergonomics or just you know the the individual's body and um, I would probably focus more on like non load bearing exercises with this stuff. Like you might think of like, Oh, I'm going to do some like cardio, whether it's aerobic stuff, whether it's anaerobic stuff, whether it's fucking whatever, like you're probably thinking like, Oh yeah, I'm just going to use like the assault bike or, you know, whatever. And I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to do whatever. Like that's, it's probably not the same thought process you need to have with the obese individual like you need to be thinking like okay this individual if they're going to be going like for a run at 300 pounds like that's a lot of load through the joints repeatedly you know so that is something to consider and then as a result i'd probably just you know recommend using like a bike using a cross trainer or like a recline bike is you know fantastic because again you can kind of adjust the seat a bit more rather than like I said earlier on, like having that like little tiny seat really hard to fucking sit on. know, it's hard for me to sit on, let alone someone that is like 400 pounds, you know? Um, so that's just a, a concern with the, the cardio side of things. Um, but yeah, like that's, that's, they're the main kind of things. I would be thinking we could also make a strong argument that we would schedule in some, again, low grade, uh, Aerobic stuff throughout the workout. Like let's say you have them for an hour, right? They're, you're, they're with you for three hours per week. Like you could do 10 minutes of a warm-up on you know the, the cross trainer, then get in to do some resistance work, then do 10 minutes of the cross trainer, resistance work, and then again do 10 minutes of the cross trainer so that you get 30 minutes of total, like aerobic work and calorie burning, etc. And you also got your resistance training in rather than getting them to be like oh yeah you have to actually just stand sit on a treadmill or sit on a treadmill you to walk on a treadmill for 30 minutes straight through like that can be really quite boring for you know people who enjoy exercise let alone people that are like i don't want to fucking be here you know and um, so that is something to consider and um, which is a little bit different than how you would potentially program that for most people and um, but again that's just kind of like you know it depends on the individual the other thing that i would potentially do as well which we'll talk about in like the diet side of things in, in a future podcast but the other thing that i would do as well is i would probably schedule in some like activity after meals like i would be like right you're going to eat this meal you're going to do your eat your breakfast your lunch your dinner whatever it is i'd probably be like right but after you eat that like all we want to do is like 5 minute walk or a 10 minute walk just to first of all again bump up that like neat but then also improve like you know blood glucose levels improve like you know the handling of those nutrients etc and um, and that that is actually quite beneficial um, overall and i would consider that kind of exercise because it's kind of formalized and um, even though again it is probably just that meat you know you're just getting your steps in and um, but that is you know the majority of the way i would approach training slightly differently you know there's a the few few concerns that i would have yeah, nothing to add OK, fine. Well, the, the final thing I would also say is like there are also some legitimate like contraindications um, for exercise for some populations um, such as, again, blood pressure issues. Like I'm not going to get someone to be like, we're going to go for a max effort overhead press, you know, <laughs> um, when you're like, OK, you've, you've told me you have high blood pressure and you're obese, like we're probably not going to go to these like high blood pressure generating exercises like you know the ones where it's like you've got that valsalva maneuver and you're fucking squeezing hard like i probably wouldn't be going for those same with the leg press can also be uh uh, of concern like you see people just you know with non high blood pressure they're on the leg press and their face is going fucking purple you know and so stuff like that it, it probably is something to consider Um, And as I said previously, there are obviously differences between training like uh, an obese youth or someone who has been obese for a longer period of time versus someone who is uh, an uh, an obese, uh, like OAP, you know, someone that's like older, because again, like we have to think about like frailty, sarcopenia um, in the elderly. And also like we have to be a little bit more risk averse in those older populations rather than the younger populations. Like again, if you fucking blow out your knee when you're young, like that's not a, a big, it is a big fucking issue for you, um, but it's not as big of an issue. You know, your recovery is probably going to be better rather than if you fucking blow out your knee when you're 70, you know, like that could literally be the thing that actually kills you overall, especially like something like a, a hip injury, you know, like it's like you get fucking immobilized. Now you're 400 pounds, obese, immobilized because you fucking fractured your hip and you just lie in bed all day it's like that could be the fucking nail in the coffin you know and which is pretty fucking morbid and if you're trying to actually help this individual where you're like oh i was trying to help you and then actually no i was actually the the catalyst for your eventual death Um, so that is something to just um keep in mind and then i just have a few other things unless you have any other contraindications
0: no no um and again like but it's it's hard to even say whether the blood pressure one actually matters. <laughs> it's just it's just one of those things where like if you're if you want to be super conservative, um maybe best. Um but again,
1: hard to know. Yeah, like it's just one of those ones where I'm like, yeah. look, realistically, like it's goes back to that kind of tolerance thing, you know? If I have someone in day one and it's like they're literally telling me that like Oh, I've had fucking, you know, stents in my family. I've had fucking loads of cardiovascular events in my family. I actually have high blood pressure and that's why I'm here. Like, I'm just not going to (laughs) risk it then, you know? And And again,
0: particularly if someone gets, gets symptoms, uh, for example, like exertion headaches, like that's something that can be um, definitely worth avoiding things like overhead press, leg press, et cetera. If the person has clearly reported that they get symptomatic. And I've had that with some clients, um, who are, you know, super lean and they're just really prone to exertion headaches on things like leg press and you just got to, you know, shift shift the goalposts. It's fine.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, and then i just have a few things to just say on like barriers to training. Although like, again, we've done fucking so many episodes on this stuff, so I'm not going to repeat it. Um, and we did talk about this stuff earlier on. But the first one is obviously access. Like, again, we can talk about the best training protocols in the world in terms of how you actually program your training it's irrelevant if you actually don't even have access to a gym you know and so that is something that to consider especially if you are helping more people or providing more like broad generalized information like again we said earlier on i would just rather see you do some exercise than you know get caught up on like what is the best um exercise training protocol to get results for an obese individual like you have to consider that access stuff, right? And the next thing then again is obviously like self-esteem, which we touched on. But also on top of that, I just wanted to touch on the fact that like, if you are training an obese individual or you are an obese individual, like you have to actually go through a profound mindset shift to actually deal with the issues that presented to you. And what I mean by that is you have to go from like a fixed mindset of like, oh, I am an obese individual. Everything I do is guided by the fact that I am an obese individual. And like, this is kind of like, the way i am i'm stuck like this you have to move from that to like a a growth mindset in terms of like oh my actions can actually influence the way like i look feel perform etc and um, and that's that if you're already in that growth mindset, like it's hard to look at someone and be like, how are you in this fixed mindset? However, even people that are, you know, very in like growth mindsets in like their training or, you know, different aspects of their life, like they probably do have fixed mindsets in other aspects. Like I couldn't tell you the amount of personal trainers, for example, that, um, are in this really like beneficial growth mindset in terms of their training, their nutrition, et cetera. But then you ask them about money, you talk to them about money and they're in this real fixed mindset of like, oh, there just isn't enough money out there or, you know, oh, I just can't do anything to, you know, uh, change my like uh, monetary situation, et cetera, right? So it's like, just because you're in, Growth mindset elsewhere doesn't mean that it extends to your entire life, you know. And um, but as an obese individual or training an obese individual, that is something that you have to go through. And it's just, I wish I could give you the keys to that in terms of like, here is how you you know navigate that situation, but I unfortunately just don't have that. I don't like it's it's something that again, like that's a, the personal training, like the, the personal side of personal training. Like it actually is something that you have to coach through, and it's hard to do it yourself. It's hard to do it to other individuals as well, so it, like it just doesn't get easy, right? And then I just want to finally just say overall, <clears throat> I would just ease into training. You know, like you don't need to go balls to the wall from day one. And um, if you're training an obese individual or you are an obese individual, like a little goes a long way. And if it's just a case of you doing a slight bit more than you did last week or that you than you've ever done, like that is beneficial and it will compound, it will result in benefits over time. And um, you just have to be consistent with it rather than being in this like all or nothing mindset. Like I said earlier on, like, oh, I would like to have someone do like, you know, three resistant or three training sessions per week, you know, like, that doesn't mean that you have to, if you've done no training sessions per week for the last five years, like one training session per week, is going to be more beneficial than none, you know? Um, So just keep that in mind. Anyway, Gary, do you have anything final to say? Because I know we have some tasty episodes coming up um, over the the next few weeks to round out this series and then move on to the next series. Um, But in terms of the training side of things, seeing as you are a qualified exercise interventionist, otherwise known as a physiotherapist, um, and you are a trainee doctor. Um, do you have any final thoughts?
0: No, I think we've we've added most things. I think in, in summary, like exercise um, ideally would be as accessible um, to people with obesity as it is for anyone else. There are certainly additional barriers that can be related to body mass, body image, ergonomics, and um, prejudice as well in some cases. Um, I've definitely seen examples where Um, people have laughed at people with obesity in the gym who are clearly making the effort to try and improve themselves um, which is pretty disgusting and I've seen it firsthand so like obviously that helps no one (laughs) Like, like that just act if you like even if you were to make the case that right I'm disgusted by people with obesity let's just say you hold that position you actually want them to be in your gym training because you're reducing the probability that you will come in contact with people (laughs) with obesity who are unfit. So um, yeah, it's, it's just a a pretty useless uh, opinion to hold for anyone really. Um, But yeah, I, I think, I think ultimately we've, we've covered everything. I think that like the key message really, as is the case with anyone who's starting exercise is start small and progress accordingly. And I think that if you are someone with obesity, as we said, um, particularly if you're, you know, at the higher end, like if you're, if your BMI is 35, 40, 45 plus, you have to, you know, give yourself some credit for the tasks such as walking and just starting at those low level activities, because for you, you're actually performing a different exercise to me in terms of going out walking. It's a totally different intensity. So if you were to do 10,000 steps a day, that's totally different to me doing 10,000 steps a day. So you have to put that in the category of exercise, as opposed to in the category of you know activities of daily living, let's say. Because that is one of the things that can be a bit confusing for people is they might look at workout programs online and they might be thinking, God, if I was to even go through the warm up, I would be in bits. And that's fine because you're at a different starting point, and we have to think about relative intensity. So it's it's very much similar to, you know, Paddy is a much stronger squat than me. If I tried to do the I a new full stop, Gary. if I tried to do the weights that Paddy would do for his squat sets, like obviously it would just make no sense. Like why would I do that? It just makes no sense at all. I'm not going to be able to do it. His warm up sets would be enough. And that's very similar to, you know, anyone at any level. So much like you put appropriate weight on the bar when you're, you know, weight training, think about putting appropriate weight on the bar metaphorically when you're going for a walk or a run or whatever. Um, just going out and doing as much as you can is is rarely uh, a good option unless you're competing in something. So they'd be my my summary points. And this is really important. Again, it goes back to like a little bit is
1: Like it goes a long way. Like it really does because you could do something you could see online and be like, oh, they say I have to train. Like even I said earlier on, like you train for an hour or whatever, like 10 minutes might be your capacity. Like 10 minutes of that training session might put you on the floor for the rest of the day. You're like, fuck man, like that's the most I've exercised in the last 10 years, you know? And that, that's okay. Like you start there and you build up slowly. Like that's the whole process of training. Like they, they call it training for a reason. It's not like you're not competing every single day you go to the gym. I know some people make it out as if they are on social media, like bodybuilders and stuff. They're going to fucking war. Um, but it's training. It's literally training you to get better in future. That's what it is. Just like any other training. You're not going to be fantastic from the start. You build up. You progress over time. Anyway, Gary, I have nothing else to say on the topic. Well, I'm sure we do have else to say. We're just not saying it here. Um, But where can people find us? Where can they find more information about us? What have we got going on? all of that and then also just give them a quick recap of like you know how life is going for you because I feel like my life is just incredibly boring like I just do a load of work all day talk to people on like you know consultation calls do my check-ins do all that stuff but you
0: actually have stuff going on outside in the real world as well my life is basically the same except that when I'm not doing those triage tasks I do practice medicine questions (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> so I'm learning. I'm doing online study at the moment, obviously. Um, well, not obviously, because I actually have been in, in the hospital a bit. So that was nice. Uh, but at the moment, it's, it's mostly online. The odd class here and there. Um, I think I have diabetic foot examination next week and blood glucose testing because obviously some people don't just do it themselves all the time. <laughs> um, no, really? but I, so I do have some practical classes, but other than that, it's mostly just online learning. Exams are coming up, so um, we'll be putting the head down a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, I mean, college is is fine. Uh, business is going well with triage. The weather is nice, so really can't complain at all. Um, so on that note, we do have coaching spaces available. So, you know, um, we've got quite a few spaces available each to be honest me patty and brian so if you are interested in coaching you're more than welcome to apply um as i've said to you know many people who've who've messaged us asking about coaching and stuff over time we don't just take on anyone so it's not like you can just go on our website and click buy because we want to know that we can do the best job for you and that you're actually a good fit for us too um so one of the things you can do if you're interested in the coaching process is you can drop us an email, info at or you can DM any of us on Instagram, or you can go through our website and fill out an application form. And then what we'll do is, is we'll take you to the next step uh, if we feel that, that you're a good fit. Because um, one of the things we've tried to do over time is make sure that we select our clients better and if, that if people are in a position where, whether for financial reasons or personal reasons... They would get a better service elsewhere. We'll refer you to someone else. You know, there's we we know plenty of coaches who who offer um, either lower ticket services um, or services that might be more specialized for your needs. Um, for example, if you're into competitive bodybuilding or something, we know people who are better than us at, at prepping people for that. So, so yeah, um, get in touch if you're interested. Um, we do also have the Coaches Corner, which is for coaches who want to level up their education. Um, so you can subscribe to that if you're interested. We have a weekly newsletter, the Triage Method newsletter, which you can subscribe to. We put out information there that doesn't necessarily get posted on our social media. And you can also just keep up there with, you know, what podcast did we do this week? What other recommended resources do we have? You know, some testimonials from our clients, etc. So it's a nice way to get like a roundup of what we've been up to. Um, and we are posting on our social media too. So you can follow me, Skinny Gaz. You can follow Patty, the real Patty Farrell. And you can follow Brian, Brian O'Hangissa, um, on Instagram. And you can follow our Facebook page um, and, or join our, our free Facebook community, the Triage Method community. Uh, we obviously have our own Instagram as well, Triage Method, YouTube channel, Triage Method, podcast, Triage Method. So you can find us in all of those places too. Um, I'm not sure there's anything else we do. Do we do anything that I missed? share the podcast if you like it that's always appreciated
1: yeah i have nothing else to say that was a fantastic podcast i hope everyone enjoyed it and we will see you on the next one see you soon